How many of you have your Bible? Hold it up good and high tonight. Aren't you glad for this book right here? You can't change this book, but this book can change you. Open it tonight to the Hebrew hymn book, and that's the book of Psalms. And go with me to a very familiar psalm tonight, the very first psalm, Psalm chapter number one. Psalm chapter number one. Out of respect for the Word of God, would you stand please for the reading and teaching of the Word of God. Psalm one and one. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delights in the law of the Lord, and in his laws shall he meditate day and night. He should be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. And God are not so, but like the chaff which the wind driveth away. For the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, or sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. How many of you would like to be genuinely happy? Would you raise your hand real high? If you did not raise your hand, you can leave now because I cannot help you. But just in case you'd like to get a good dose of Bible happiness, we're going to learn tonight how to be biblically happy. Thank you. You may be seated and we'll pray together. Heavenly Father, we enter your gates with thanksgiving, your courts with praise. Our hearts are full from the wonderful music that has blessed us and exalted you. Tremendous testimonies of young people giving their lives to you. People pass from death unto life, from the power of Satan unto God. Friends who are faithful in Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night services. Our visiting friends who've come in for Joshua Camp. All of this would be without any focus or form were it not for you. So I pray tonight that Jesus will be high and lifted up, that this book, the Word of the Living God, will change our lives and help us to take another spiritual step. And we give you all the praise, honor, and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. There's something everybody wants, but almost nobody has. Lots of people expect it, but very few people experience it. It's called happiness. Interestingly enough, the Constitution guarantees the pursuit of happiness, but it never guarantees you'll find it. Most Americans have not found it. The average American does not know what happiness is, nor where to find it. One in five Americans this year will visit a psychiatrist. Valium is now a leading selling drug. One out of every two first marriages goes to the force courts, and two out of every three second marriages will also be dissolved. The number two calls for death on the college campus tonight is suicide. And every 60 seconds in this land of the free and home of the brave, somebody tries to take their lives. Americans are not happy because they don't know what it is and they don't know where to find it. But I'm glad to announce tonight that the God who made you wants you to be genuinely, biblically happy. Psalm 1611, thou wilt show me the path of life and thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 8411 says, The Lord God's a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that woke uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed, happy is the man whose God is the Lord. Psalm 144 and verse 15, Behold, happy is the man whose God is the Lord Jesus. And you study Matthew chapter 5 and go through there, you'll find nine times in nine consecutive verses. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness. But there's a little verse tucked away in John chapter 13 and verse 17 that explains it all. It says, if you know these things, happier ye if you do them. Do you realize tonight you're not happy because of what you know about the Bible? You're happy because of what you do about what you know about the Bible. Amen. 
The more Bible you know, the less you obey, the more guilty you'll be. The more Bible you know, the more you obey, the more godly you'll be, and holiness always precedes happiness. That word is found over 300 times in the Bible, 85 times in the book of Psalms, and it intrigues me that God starts the Hebrew hymn book with that word, blessed. It's in the plural. God wants you to have much happiness. From where I'm from in North Carolina, we say he wants you to have a truckload of happiness. He'd like to pour happiness all over you. He'd like to have you have the time of your life as you follow his wisdom and his leadership. So how does a person become genuinely, biblically happy? Notice in verse 1, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the ungodly. When you study this passage, he's simply saying this, A man who will take the Psalm 1 challenge, a person who will be genuinely happy must first avoid sin. How many of you realize tonight, happy drivers avoid accidents? Can I get an amen on that? Happy golfers avoid water and sand and woods. And happy believers avoid sin. I've said it, we'll say it for till I die. You cannot sin and win. I didn't say you can't sin. But as a born again believer, you can't sin and win. And the psalmist is saying, look, if you want to know the happiness that God gives, you can't be double-minded. It can't be good sin and good Savior. It must be good Savior and hate sin. He said you avoid sinful counsel. Proverbs 14, 7 says that you are not to hear the instruction of them that cause you to err from the words of righteousness. Psalm, Proverbs 19, 27, cease, my son, to hear them that calls you to do that. Stop listening to stupid counsel. Somebody said, preacher, could you be specific? I'm glad you asked. We might start with nighttime television talk show host. Jimmy Fallout and Stephen Coldheart and those boys. How in the wide world you can sit and suck in the sewage of society and think you're going to be happy? No way, Jose. It is not going to happen. You say, preacher, I'll watch what I want and I'll listen to what I want to. That's up to you. You can take in the world's music, but you're not going to have biblical happiness. You can watch scenes on the internet, on television, but you're not going to have biblical happiness. You say, well, I'll get excited. I'll have a thrill. Dear friend, you can have a thrill jumping from a hundred stories. It's the sudden stop that ruins the trip. And you can do as you choose, but you will never be blessed unless you make up your mind you're going to avoid sinful counsel. Do you, my parent friend, understand and do you know what your children are hearing? Most dangerous thing you'll ever do is give them a television without uh, any guidance and let them have it in their room. Second most dangerous thing you'll do is let them put anything they want on their iPads and iPods. You need to understand, you need to monitor, you need to help them to choose wisdom instead of the corruption of this world. He said avoid sinful counsel, but he also said you must avoid sinful companions. He does not stand in the way of sinners. Now that doesn't mean that we don't love sinners. Uh, separation in my generation I think was taken to isolation. Jesus never taught that we are to avoid having any contact with the unsaved. My Savior was called the friend of sinners. How are you going to help people get saved if you treat them as though they have uh, no soul? You and I need to have a love for the lost. But these, this passage is talking about people who've come to take a stand with them. They're going that direction. I've said for many, many years, you tell me your friends, I'll tell you your future. 
You tell me your friends, I'll tell you your future. Psalm 1963, I'm a companion, interesting word. I'm interwoven with, this word for weaving fabrics. I'm a companion of all them that fear thee and of them that keep thy precepts. Here's how you choose friends. Here's how you help your children choose friends. Do they fear God? Do they follow God? Say it with me. Do they fear God? Do they follow God? People who use profanity and watch pornography do not fear God. Those who want nothing to do with church and the Bible and hanging out with God's people, they do not follow God. Tell me your friends, I'll tell you your future. Proverbs 13, 20, he that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Amnon had a friend, his name was Jonadab. Amnon was promiscuous, but Jonadab was perverted and he taught him how to seduce his half-sister. It takes place and he ends up raping her and two years later, he's executed by his brother. And I'm not so sure but what the same guy who taught him how to seduce his sister probably went and told Absalom exactly what his brother had done. You tell me your friends, I'll tell you your future. A preacher called me, he said, you're going to such and such a state. My son is in the penitentiary there. I said, yes, sir, I know. He said, I guess you know what he did. Yes, I know. He got drunk and murdered a woman, went to death row. I hope you never have to see what I sell. I went to death row. You don't get in there. You stand on this side of the plexiglass. Young man who heard me preach in a camp years ago came chained hand and foot. They don't dress in designer clothes there. They don't have buds in their ears. They're not have spiked hair. When they came, he had his head down and he, his chains were against the concrete. And then he sat down in front of me and said, I didn't think I'd ever see you again. After going over the claims of Christ and giving the gospel very clearly, I said, now son, how did you get here? First two words out of his mouth, my friends. I said, well, I'd like to ask you, how many of your friends have come, called, written, or even cared since you got placed on death row? Answer, none. Your friends can help you go to jail, but won't get you out. Your friends could help you go to hell, but they'll never get you out. Tell me your friends, I'll tell you your future. And I want to say to you moms and dads, it's not just young people that need to be careful of their friends. You need to be careful of the people that you run with as well. You and I, if we're going to be biblically happy, must avoid sinful counsel. We must avoid sinful companions and we must avoid sinful criticism. He does not sit in the seat of the scornful. The word scorn means to mock with the mouth. Proverbs 14, 9 says, fools make a mock at sin. Why allow television to mock the very name of Jesus? Why allow them to exalt immorality and downplay marriage? Hebrews 13, 4, marriage is honorable in all the bed and the file, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. It is not funny when comedians make jokes about the sacredness of marriage it is not funny when they exalt things done that should have never been said in a public venue. It is filthy. What are you watching? What's taking in? What are you listening to? But the God of heaven writing through the psalmist did not just say avoid sin. Look at verse two. He said, but his delight, his favor, his bent is in the law of the Lord and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Number one, if you want to be biblically happy, you must avoid sin. But number two, you must absorb scripture. You must fully engulf it. It must be a vital part of your life. Allow me for just a moment to pledge allegiance to this book, 
the book of which there is none in comparison. It stands alone. Psalm 19, 7 says, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. There's no problem with this book. I'm not looking to update it. I'm looking to take what it has to say for me. It's never been outdated. I'm not trying to rewrite it. I'm simply seeking to reread it and let it continue to change my life. Psalm 119, 105, thy word is a lamp in my feet, a light in my pathway. When we hide its words in our hearts, we'll not sin against Almighty God. Psalm 119, 160, thy word is true from the beginning. Interestingly enough, they do not use any of the textbooks they used when I was in high school. All of them are outdated. But I still have the same kind of Bible I had as a teenage boy. It is accurate in everything that it says. The Bible says in Isaiah 40 and verse 8, the grass withers, the flower thereof fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. John 15, 3, now you're clean through the word. John 17, 17, sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. Hebrews 4, 12, the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to dividing asunder soul and spirit, the joints and the marrow, and is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Mark Twain said, I've read many books, but this book reads me. Is that one of the reasons you may not be involved in the Word of God? Because it exposes you? My dear friend, there are no shortcuts to spiritual maturity and genuine biblical happiness. This book must be a vital part of your life. I'm glad to be in a church where the Bible is taught and it is taught that it is inspired. How many of you believe tonight this is God's book? I do not believe it contains the Word of God or becomes the Word of God. I believe it is the Word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness, so the man of God may be perfect, truly, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. The Bible is inerrant. It is without any comparison. It is without any contradiction. It is the Word of God. The Word of God is indestructible. People have tried to destroy this book for years, but it's outlived all of its pallbearers. Centuries ago, there was a man by the name of Voltaire, a French infidel. He said, 50 years after I'm dead, there'll be no more Bibles. If you have your Bible tonight, would you hold it up good and high? That would make Voltaire liar number one. He said, 100 years after I'm dead, there'll be no more Christians. If you're saved, say amen. amen. That makes Voltaire liar number two. He's been in hell for over 200 years and knows better now. Interestingly, 50 years after he died, the Geneva Bible Society bought his house to store copies of the Word of God in. And the book just keeps marching on. And so tonight, we're in an independent, fundamental Bible preaching Baptist church, and we believe the Word of God is inerrant, and we believe it's inspired, and we believe it's indestructible. Now, pause for a moment. Is it indispensable? Did you get out of bed this morning and hunger and thirst after it? Jeremiah 15, 16, thy words were found and I did eat them. They were the joy and rejoicing of my heart. Is this book the most important part of your day? I want to ask you four questions about your Bible. Number one, do you have a time daily when you read the Word of God for yourself? Now let me say to you, everybody that I've ever met, I don't know that I've ever met anybody that could not say this has happened, from time to time misses their devotions. Let's have uh, truthfulness tonight. How many of you have ever missed your devotions? Would you raise your hand with mine? All right, I'm not concerned that you missed it. 
I'm concerned you didn't miss it when you missed it. You see, from time to time, we'll all miss our private time with God, but it ought to concern you. So number one, do you have a time set aside daily to get in the Word of God? Let the Word of God get in you. Number two, do you as a mom and dad, do you have a time where you have family altar, family devotions? Our children are grown and gone and have grandchildren, but my wife and I get out of bed and have our breakfast. And after we have on private devotions, then we have our time together as a couple. It may not be but 15 or 20 minutes. But everybody in this building needs to gather the family together. But we don't have time. Well, you had time to watch a three-hour movie. Amen or oh me. How many of you believe this? We do what we want to do. That's a fact. We do what we want to do. If you want to have time as a family, you'll find that time. You'll make that time. And then number three, I wonder if you have a way that you memorize Scripture. A verse a week, a verse every couple of weeks. You can memorize if you'll apply it. And then number four, do you meditate on the Word of God? I didn't say do you vegetate, but do you meditate? Now the word meditate comes from the term murmur. It means that you are talking back Scripture to God. Now if we're going to be biblically happy, it's not just what we don't do, it's what we do do. You see, if we're going to get out of the world, then we need to get into the Word. If we're going to avoid sin, then we need to absorb Scripture. It needs to be part of our very being, and we need to get into it. I wonder if you meditate. Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. But thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. The word success in your Bible is used once, and it's in connection to the Word of God. No Bible, no success. Little Bible, little success. Much Bible, much success because it's founded on the Word of the living God. Tonight, I want to give you just a quick way to meditate. You do not have to go to a mountain, sit down, cross your arms and legs and eyes and think Far Eastern thoughts, thoughts because that won't be the meditation you need. You can meditate anywhere at any time. And I want to teach you how to do it from Psalm 23. Most of you know the 23rd Psalm, at least the first verse. Let's say it together. Here we go. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. How do you meditate on that? How do you talk it back to God? Well, the word Lord means self-existent one, sovereign one. God has no birth date. He was not born and he will have no cemetery plot because he will not die. Psalm 90 and verse 2, from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. So this sovereign king eternal is for you English teachers, please forgive me. I grew up a country boy and where I'm from, is is the opposite of ain't, amen. And so the self-existent, all-knowing, sovereign God still is my personal pronoun. Shepherd, what does a shepherd do? He leads and feeds. The self-existent, no beginning, no ending, sovereign king of all the universe is my leader and my feeder. And the psalmist in essence said, what more could I want? And in two minutes, I just taught you how to meditate. And you can do that anytime at any, any place. You can get out of bed in the morning and get the word of God and some of you travel. How many of you travel at least 30 minutes to work? Would you raise your hand at least 30 minutes? Uh, when you do that, rather than argue and get upset about the traffic, you could be meditating on the Word of the living God. You can meditate when you get out of bed in the morning and you take a shower. There's not a lot of things you can do in the shower, but you can meditate. 
And you can talk back to God those things. You can sing, and that's what meditation is when you're singing, you're singing the right things. You can meditate when you exercise. Most every day I do some type of exercise. I have for many, many years been a jogger. At my age it's more jarring than jogging, but I'm still moving because occasionally a tree comes by. And so I know that I'm making a little progress. Now, for those of you that like to jog, I think you're weird. <laughs> I've never enjoyed one jog. I jog so that I can eat, amen. But I have found that if you can do two things, you don't hurt as bad when you're jogging. And so I take the Word of God and go over it in my mind. And I speak it back to God. You can meditate, ladies, when you're washing dishes. You can meditate a couple of ways. My family never appreciates anything I ever do. That's one way. And you'll be depressed all day. Or you can rejoice that there are dishes from a family that you can wash for the glory of God. You, you can meditate before you go to sleep. You can meditate, ladies, when you put on your makeup in the morning. As long as it takes some ladies, you can meditate on the entire 119th Psalm. <laughs> you can meditate. And God will revolutionize your life. So I've got a question. Are you avoiding sinful counsel, companions, and criticism? Are you absorbing the word of the living God? If you are, you can go to verse 3 and notice, He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth His fruit in His season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever He doeth shall prosper. If you will avoid sin, and you will absorb Scripture, you will achieve success. The first thing you will be is planted, and the idea is transplanted. You will no longer be a struggling little tree, but you will have your roots down deep in the soil. The water of the Word will nourish, and your trunk will continue to grow, and the limbs will grow out, and it won't be long until there's fruit. You will be stable and secure. We have a lot of insecure people, people worried concerning all kinds of things in this old world. Summit meetings between our president, Mr. Putin, the North Korean situation, and all kinds of worried people concerning how's the economy going to do. Ladies and gentlemen, state upon Jehovah, hearts are fully blessed. And so I wonder tonight, where are you thinking? Where are you looking? Have you made up your mind that you're going to focus on the king of the ages and his settled words so that you're planted? 1 Corinthians 15, 58, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the word of the Lord. But the Bible also says you'll be productive, you'll bring forth fruit. Some believe this may be the date palm tree, and if it is, they say besides water, that that fruit could sustain life. It's a very life-giving tree. I wonder tonight if there's fruit being born in your life. There's the fruit of souls, John 15, 8, here, and as my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. Whatever that fruit is that's argued about for years, part of it is the fruit of another soul. Stop and consider with me. If you're constantly thinking about the Word of God, you're going to be constantly talking about the Word of God. You won't have to try to work it up to say something about the Lord Jesus Christ. It'll be so much a part of your life, you'll be looking for opportunities to explain what God has been doing in your life. And then there's the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against this there is no law. Are you a meek, teachable person? Do you have a long fuse and very patient? Is the joy of the Lord your strength? 
You see, ladies and gentlemen, what will happen is this. When you make up your mind to avoid sin and absorb scripture and you get your roots down deep and that strong tree begins to put the limbs out, you'll be planted and productive and there will be fruit and whatever you do will prosper. The success that you have been looking for is predicated on the word of the living God, preacher. So where does the byproduct of happiness come from? Well, the happiest people in this room tonight are those who sense you're useful. We always hate to be used, but we love to be useful. A mother feels so fulfilled when her children sense that she's an important part of their life and she's useful. The man on his job senses that he's productive and he's an important part of that time. We young people say, I'll be there for you. We want to be useful people. So I have a question tonight. Is anybody picking your fruit? Let me ask you another question. Is there any fruit to pick? When is the last time somebody walked up to you and said, you know, we've been watching you raise your children. Ours are younger. Your children seem to love God. Could you help us to learn how to raise our children? Yeah, uh, you know, I, I've always wanted to be a better witness. It seems that you know how to start the conversation. Could, could you take me out and could you teach me how to be a witness? I, I, I'm going through a trial like yours. And I watched you from a distance and it just seemed that you blossomed during that trial and I'm facing some of the same things. Could you teach me how to do that? Could you teach me how to pray? It seems that you know how to get in touch with God. I'd like to get closer. Is anybody picking your fruit? Is there any fruit to pick? My friend, there'll be no fruit unless you avoid sin, absorb scripture, and then you'll achieve success. And you'll understand what the psalmist was saying. You'll be blessed multiplied times in every way in shape and fashion and form. Now, verse four, five, and verses 4, 5, and 6, I'll take just a moment. But it says the ungodly are not so. Those without God are not so. What that? They don't avoid sin. They absorb it. They don't absorb scripture. They avoid it. They show up occasionally in church. Rarely do they get in the word of God. They don't achieve success. Because the Bible says the ungodly are like chaff. Chaff, as you know, is the hull of wheat. I've traveled to many foreign countries where they still throw the chaff into the wind. And it's blown. The word means empty. What a perfect picture of anybody here tonight that does not know the Lord Jesus Christ. You're empty. And you're blown and you're moved from one high to the next and one event to the next and one type of entertainment to the next. But there's no root and there's no fruit that can be picked to help anybody. But chaff is not only blown, Matthew 3 and verse 12 says it's burned. And the chaff is cast into unquenchable fire and it is a picture of hell. If you're joining us tonight and hearing this gospel preacher, there is a literal place called hell. Is it not bad enough that an unsaved person lives their entire life empty? But then they have to spend uh, eternity ruined and damned and away from the God who loved them and could have saved them. Empty for eternity. Empty for eternity. What a terrible picture. When you could be this tree, when you could be the person that God could pour his blessings upon, when you could be a very effective, influential person to touch lives, not only of your own family, but families across this nation for Jesus Christ. Are you tonight 
a tree that's planted or chaff that's blown. It'll one day be burned. You say, preacher, is there any hope? I'm glad to tell you that wisdom is personified in Proverbs 8:35, and it says, he that findeth me findeth a life. May I introduce you tonight to Jesus Christ who's life. In John chapter six and verse 48, Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. In John chapter nine and verse five, Jesus said, I'm the light of life. In John 10, 9, he's the door of life. In John 10, 11, he's the shepherd of life. In John 11, 25, he's the resurrection and the life. In John 14, 6, he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. Your search ends for happiness when you are introduced and meet personally Jesus Christ. Do you know tonight if you were to die in your seat the way you are, you'd spend an eternity with Jesus? Permit me to give you just a simple understanding. If you'll acknowledge that you were born a sinner, the Bible says for all is sin and come short of the glory of God. You may not think you're as bad a sinner as somebody else, but here's an interesting thing. Sin is sin inside of God. And you do not go to hell for the amount of your sin. You go to hell because you're a sinner. Because the, the Bible tells us no sin will ever enter heaven. Revelation 21, 27. If you'll acknowledge that your sin has headed you away from God instead of towards God, you're going to spend eternity in a place that the Bible describes as hell, a place of darkness and yet fire, and God doesn't want you there. And then you'll understand that Jesus Christ is not just a God, he's the only God. And then six hours one Friday, he died in your place on a cross. And out of his body there came blood, for without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. He was taken from that cross dead, not swooned or passed out dead, placed to that tomb, but he only stayed three days and three nights. And then he came out alive in the body and alive in the soul. And because he lives, you can live. If you'll open your heart like the front door in your house and invite Jesus Christ to come live in your life. If I walked up to you tonight and I took my Bible and I said, if you say you're going to heaven, could you prove it please from your Bible? Could you do that? If you just said no, if you just said, I do not know, the good news is this. You're not here by accident. This is a divine appointment. And tonight, if you'll acknowledge your sin and that Christ is the only God, and you'll say no to your sin and yes to Christ and invite him to come live in your life, you will have eternal life. Then you can have abundant life. Then you will understand what it means to be biblically blessed. Two simple questions tonight. If you died the way you are right now, are you certain you'd go to heaven? And second question, can you prove from your life that you're a someone biblically happy believer?